Blog Talk Radio. It is, uh, it is mid-February, week after the Super Bowl in gym. The Super Bowl was Sunday. It's Thursday. My voice is is still not recovered. I uh, I don't think I've screamed as much as I screamed in that fourth quarter. Uh, maybe all my life. That was that was that was a lot. Well, I think the Falcons are probably still screaming, and probably uh, their coaches haven't slept the winks <laughs> since Sunday night. Can you imagine, yeah, being on the other end of that and, and, and having, yeah, trying to get to sleep that night or the next night and wondering how you were so, like, the game was over. I just kept saying to people, the game's over. Like, this can't, it can't happen. It doesn't happen. Well, you and kept texting just, me the game was over, and I was like, to me, these things are always more fascinating. <laughs> They're always more fascinating for the losing team. Not that the winning team didn't do a lot, but that was historic. That was, in my mind, given the circumstances, the biggest collapse in the history of the NFL playoffs. I mean, you saw, there, I saw these stats. They had a 99.7% win probability with six and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. And you, you and I will often message each other back during games and, 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 and I don't know, kind of somehow – Try to change the vibe, and and and, and uh, when I texted you, it was over. There was no like, oh, I'm just you know being a sore. It was over. Like I, I, I really thought there's there's truly no ch- no zero chance. I I thought that at twenty eight three, but as soon as the Patriots scored, immediately made it twenty eight to nine. I was with people all rooting against the Patriots, and I said. I am not sandbagging. This just isn't over yet. It looks like it's over, and Atlanta just needed three more points at some point, and so you look at probably, oh, maybe a dozen. I mean, the Patriots had to score a touchdown field goal, touchdown conversion, touchdown conversion, touchdown to win the game, while at the same time Atlanta doesn't score a single point. I mean, I said (laughs) I saw another stat. Teams had been 0 and 190 while losing by 25 to like 28 points with six minutes to go in the third quarter. I mean, it was literally, it was historic. And so I always focus on, if the Falcons had lost a back-and-forth shootout, there'd be a feeling, oh, it was a great game, we came close. But the idea, like you said, Patriots fans were conceding it was over, not the sandbag, but because no one had ever come back from even a 10-point, more than a 10-point deficit in a Super Bowl, let alone 25. So... Just, I mean, and Kyle Shannon apparently after the game told someone I blew it. I mean, it just, I said they're probably not going to sleep or not, you know, this is going to haunt them. I, I think this team ain't going back to the Super Bowl for a long time because I think this kind of loss yeah. just kills a franchise. But it was. Well, they were uh, within <laughs> field goal range. After that, Julio Jones catch, they were in field goal range. That It was over. And then to get a sack and then to get a holding penalty, I, it's just. And face third and thirty-three or whatever it was. How do you? How does that? How do you not hand the ball 
to a guy who's averaging, what, seven, eight yards per carry? Uh, and instead you're dropping back and throwing the ball? Like, that's bizarre. Well, I, I mean, does Bill Belichick have some kind of ESP mind control that he gets into these coaches' heads and says, why don't you do the thing you shouldn't do? <laughs> why don't you throw a slant pass <laughs> at the goal line when you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield? Well, if you're the Panthers in 2003, why don't you kick the ball out of, you know, out of bounds to give us the ball to the 40-yard line with a, in a tie game? And why don't you just, you know, why don't you go back to pass twice when all you need to do is, I mean, they actually could have taken three knees and probably made the field goal because Brian hadn't missed from that range. Punishing that that they did all these things that football 101 would say you simply don't do because a field goal was as important as a touchdown in that circumstance. It wasn't like they they were only up by three or four. I can see, okay, you got to play for the touchdown. But it was just, it was astonishing. (laughs) I just wondered, does Belichick get so in their heads that, because apparently there was, was, remember Marty uh, and the Chargers lost that game to the Patriots in 2006, where, you know, Danny and Tomlinson touched the ball like twice, you know. Apparently someone brought up an old anecdote where Marty going, I'm going to play, I'm going to be aggressive today. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to show these people I can be aggressive. And it's like you even said then he got away from being Marty ball for the one game he should have been. So whatever, it was just, it was astonishing. And if you had bet, I think it probably, you could have bet in real time. If you had bet the Patriots to win the game with six to go in the third, you probably could have got 500 to one odds or something. It was just pretty it was amazing, but yeah, you can see the Dan Quinn is probably gonna have a lot of sleepless nights. The Falcons coach. Well, he, he can. He, well, and and he was a defensive coordinator when the Seahawks lost on the yeah. on that interception to the to the Patriots. So this is this is two absolutely heartbreaking losses for one coach to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It's, I almost feel bad for the guy. Yeah, well, uh, but, you know, um, and I had taken the Patriots to win the game by six. I said, oh, what a genius, but it certainly wasn't the six, the, the way the six I thought it was going to be. I didn't think about it until the next day. I won the dinner pool. Oh, you did. <laughs> this, this season-long bet that Jim and I have had for, I don't know, this was like year 21, I, I needed, at the beginning of the of the playoffs, I needed the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. And and somehow by a miracle they did. So I actually I, well, there's yeah, six, I was, pe- six I, people in the poll. Six people in the poll, and the mm-hmm. five other people by the winner dinner. So it was between Sid and our friend Jeremiah, who just needed anybody but New England to win the Super Bowl. And so Sid will get dinner. Have you decided yet? Where somewhere uh, in the greater LA area, any restaurant, except the five hundred dollar a person sushi place, that's yeah. out. <laughs> I'll find somewhere good. I'll find some somewhere good and. Uh, um, but you talk, so one of the things that I've seen rounding out to what we actually want to talk about today, though we could talk football the whole time, uh, you know, it, one of the things that I've seen a ton of is people just piling on the Falcons and Falcons fans piling on the Falcons. Like this is typical old Falcons. And we've had a couple of stories on, on the website about fans and fan behavior at, at, NFL at an NFL game and 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 the Patriots celebration where homophobia starts to creep into how fans are celebrating bizarrely celebrating their team's success. Why don't you talk about the story that you posted earlier this week? Though we had another great one today. 
Well, a reader of ours is actually, I had, he's one of your friends on Facebook, and I don't know him, but he messaged us, and you know, big Patriots fan, and there was a, a sign, a two-part sign with a penis, and then it would go up and down into Roger Goodell's mouth. And this fan said, you know, he felt, I mean, clearly homophobic, and he felt excluded as a Patriots fan. It really offended him and bothered him, and like, why would someone do that? You know, and especially, why would you do it at a public parade? I mean, you have kids there, you have, you know, other people. It's like one of these things that people think that that still is the the go-to slur. Call someone gay, so Roger Goodell's quote-unquote gay, he sucks a guy's cock. Ergo, there's something wrong or less than or manly, something we should mock about. And, I mean, fortunately, that doesn't happen a lot, which is why I think we pay attention to it, because it's not like you know, thousands of Mexican soccer fans screaming puto, uh, you know, to the opposing goalkeeper. But it's something that rears its, it, it, its ugly head enough that it's noticed. And the good thing is that it is noticed. And yeah. So I thought this Patriots fan's reply was really good because uh, I asked him why it bothered him. And he said because he felt excluded. He felt excluded for, and, that, and that area by that person, you know, from what should be a celebration that unites everybody who's a Patriots fan. Uh, and then you had one today that was sort of a more of an uplifting story um, that sort of tells the other side. Well, I mean, it's it, it it it's the same thing kind of that you just shared. It's just the gay fan took it another step. And so Paul Gorell, who's written for Outsports before, he's a he's a lifelong New York Giants fan. Hadn't been to a game in 20 years for various reasons. And went this past season, and in the middle of the game, as the Giants were winning, a fan behind him started yelling gay slurs at the other team. And he heard it once, he heard it twice, he heard it again. And slowly, over the course of the game, as you do with fans of the same team around you, they end up starting to high-five and talk a little bit about the game and about the team and share their fandom together. And, and, and what Paul did differently is that he, he, at the end of the game, he said to this guy who he had then created a rapport with, you know, I'm gay, and, and you were using this slur, and that really bothered me. And the guy, Paul said, the guy's mouth just dropped open and was just effusively apologetic. And, and, and this is kind of the thing that I wanted to talk about, not even thinking that what the guy, what he was doing was anti-gay, was homophobic, that there might be a gay person around and to, to hear it, and that that person might take it very differently from how it was intended. And, and you, you wonder in 2017 or 2016 how somebody could use a, a homophobic, use homophobic language or a gay slur and not realize that somebody around them might be gay. And I wonder if, if these fans even connect that word to homophobia or to gay people. Well, it seems that in many ways they don't, because when they're confronted with it, like Paul confronted this fan, there's almost this realization that, you know, what did I just say? And actually the way Paul told the guy almost seemed unaware that he had actually said it which tells you how unconscious it is for a lot of people. They just say it. That's their, that's their slur of choice. Uh, I know men will do that when they use – they'll use sexist terms uh, you know, to describe another guy, 
and it's almost like they don't realize that it's sexist. You know, they'll call someone you're a, you're a little bitch or something, which is feminizing them. And a woman could, you know, woman could, women can say, hey, what, you know, why are you using that word? That's that's offensive, and guys just say it. But I think in Paul's case, what I liked is the fact that I think I probably would have turned around immediately and said something to the guy and maybe escalated something, and Paul just kind of waited for the right moment and already sort of bonded with the guy, which I think made the shame this guy felt for saying it even more powerful and probably, you know, the quintessential teaching moment. Like, you know, he felt embarrassed. There was this guy he was celebrating with, and he had insulted him unknowingly, and you know, Paul didn't get in his grill and start a fight. It was like, you know, I was offended by that. And so I thought that kind of response was actually very unique because he wrote it very well. And I I didn't know what the punchline was going to be when I was reading it. You know, was he going to – was there going to be a confrontation in the parking lot? And then the way it ended, it was like, oh, this is really kind of cool. Yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah, it, it, it is amazing to me. Um, the power – you know, instead of using anger, Paul used the power of empathy. And he could have stopped the guy and turned around and yelled at him and told him how wrong he was. And instead, he just shared how what he was, how what the guy did, uh, made him feel bad. And and it's just such a great reminder when you know when we're trying to um, tell people what they should and should not be doing. The difference between bringing somebody in and lecturing them. Um, lecturing the team or the coaching staff or the fans about what they should be doing and this is sexism and this is uh, overt homophobia and heterosexism and blah, 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 and going through the slides and explaining things. And when you just have uh, an LGBT person sharing the power of, of what these kinds of things mean to them and what, and what it makes them feel, because usually, usually, I think, the person doing the things, like Kobe, whether it's Kobe Bryant or Andrew Shaw, they are just lashing out, and these are the words that come out. But what gets heard by the LGBT people is, I hate you. And so I, I do think there's a huge disconnect between what the, what the person is saying and what is in their head about what they're saying. Well, I think Andrew Shaw is an interesting one. The NHL now is going to have an LGBTQ ally, I believe, for every – team in hockey and Andrew Shaw is the ally for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, Andrew Shaw got fined and suspended a game last year with the Blackhawks in the playoffs when he called uh, he called a referee or yelled faggot towards a referee and got, you know, got penalized for it. And he, he genuinely apologetic afterwards. He met with Chris Hines, uh, the beat reporter for the Trib, Chicago Tribune who's openly gay, and Chris said, you know, it really seemed very heartfelt. And yet we have gotten, at least on Twitter, people critical of Andrew Shaw saying, you know, that basically you use that word once, you're not allowed to call yourself an ally. And I think that at what point do you sort of accept that people can change or can learn from things like that? And Andrew apparently volunteered, like this is what he wanted to do. So I think these are the kind of people we should accept. Well, this doesn't mean you you endorse what he said. But this idea that, you know, if someone says something like that once, they're dead to you forever, to me, in this case, is kind of crazy. And yet people tend to get that certain victimization or offense at that. And I would think, hey, it's great that Andrew went from being someone who would yell faggot during a playoff game to someone who now is the designated 
sort of ally for LGBT people within, you know, sort of within the Montreal Canadiens. And I would, I would imagine this would probably mean doing something, speaking or whatever. And I think sometimes it's more, no more powerful thing than to hear people who were once sort of, you know, the oppressors sort of recanting and telling their stories. And I, I, and I think in this case, I think I, I applaud the fact that Andrew's the ally, not that, you know, the NHL should never have picked him because he did, you know, he, his apology was genuine. It wasn't a non-apology apology. And I think we should welcome people like that because at least in the area of, you know, of gay issues, we think people can change. People have been, you know, sort of cultural, you know, cultural, it's culturalization to sort of bring brought up that that is the default word you use, queer, faggot, whatever, and you do it almost without thinking. And then when you're confronted with the reality of it, you know, people can grow and change. Joe Thomas, the Browns lineman who told Jeremy Brenner that things have changed 180 in NFL locker rooms in the 10 years he's been in the league. That should be applauded, not sort of, you know, not sort of condemned like some people are. Yeah, well, and, and again, this, it all speaks to the what is being said being different from what is received. And and I think you know you mentioned it before, the the puto chant that Mexico fans often use, and now fans from other Latin American countries are are using. Puto is it, it is a it is a gay slur. It is likening. Uh, it is it is using gay sex to demean somebody and people say oh well they don't mean it as a as a as a uh, anti-gay slur but that's how it's received whether it whether that was the real like uh conscious intention or not that is what's received it's you are subconsciously at the very least likening this person to weakness using uh, a gay slur to do it and and I believe I didn't used to believe when Kobe Bryant used a gay slur. I didn't believe for a second that he didn't realize what it what what it was his connection to gay people and gay men. But now I do believe that these people use these slurs not even thinking that it has some connection to to gay people and gay men, and that the message received might be completely different from what what they're trying to say. But now I do believe that, but but it's not an excuse. Like Andrew Shaw didn't say, well, I didn't mean it that way, the way Kobe Bryant did. He immediately, wow, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think he didn't realize he got caught or didn't realize what he'd said. Um, but very quickly he said, wow, I really screwed up. I really learned that this, is, this was a screw-up. Uh, and so, you know, I, that, you know I, I hope that, you know, I know Mexico is trying to, um, fight the the fines that FIFA has levied on them for these uh, slurs, saying that well the fans didn't mean it that way, but it doesn't matter if it's meant that way or not. That's how it's received, and that's 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 half of the message is how it's received. Well, I think in the case of Mexico fans, though, there has been so much attention given to this that everybody is aware that you know they have been fined for it being a slur and yet they continue to do it to me that's that's just ignorance and an fu attitude among these fans it isn't people not aware of what they're saying or not you know there there have been more than enough articles in the mexican press about this by gay people and so i think there it's it's just willful sort of desire to sort of use it almost as a taunt now like we'll show you i mean we're going to get another Mexico City NFL game this coming fall. It's going to be the Patriots at the Raiders on Monday Night Football. Yeah. 
and we'll get to wonder again, will it be used like it was during the uh, the Raiders-Texans game? So it's, it is one of those things that I, I have no sympathy for the Mexican fans who claim, oh, we didn't know or whatever, because there's it, it's been in the news for, God, at least since the World Cup of 2014, so we're going on three years now. But in terms of the locker room or, or in fans, I do think that individuals can, can learn from it. And a lot of times it is almost unconscious. I mean, we had a, a great column about a month ago by Tony Cavell, who's a Penn State water polo player, is a freshman, but he wrote about all the times he heard the word faggot in the locker room in high school, and it was just like all the time. Even when he came out as gay, he would still hear it. He would always challenge people, and he wasn't excusing as much as it was like these kids had just been bred. That's the word they use almost involuntarily then. And his the attitude yeah. did change over time, but it was like – he would just look at them like, how ignorant can you be? I'm standing right in front of you, and you can't even use that word. But it's almost like this is that's, that's the go-to word you know, on, on so many sporting fields in this country and over the world. Yeah, well, uh, and, and what's, what I appreciate, and, and, and coming around to another whole group of stories that we had this week, is that despite hearing that language, we keep having people lgbt people in sports coming out we had a story of uh of uh, a swimmer and surfer and then we had the story of a college football player and then we have today the story of a college baseball manager uh and and you know two two of them in hawaii which is kind of interesting uh and 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 you know despite hearing all this stuff these people just keep finding the courage to come out and, 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 and seeing that the language that they heard in the locker room and the language that they might have heard from the occasional fan and all of the messaging that they've heard about how sports is a broken homophobic place just keeps, it just keeps being not true. Like, I, you know, it's funny, the last couple of weeks we've been getting um, DMs on Twitter and, and the occasional email saying you all need to stop painting the sports world as um as a, as a welcoming place because it's not and 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 we keep saying okay well we get that there's language going on we get we get that that's happening right uh but show us where show us where lgbt people are being kicked off their teams are being marginalized by their teammates aren't being supported by their coaches because we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of when people actually come out and are their true selves, they are supported. So it really is when people don't think that anybody's in the room or they're just not thinking that they, they, they do these things, but they ultimately do support LGBT people in sports. I, I, you, you can't say they don't anymore. Well, we find these stories all have such a common thread, and it is what might be called the internalized homophobia that so many people are raised with. Uh, religion is a big factor and the coming out process. And it's that finding, accepting yourself is 90% of the battle because that's what so many of these stories are like. They did not experience in anything negative while they were in, you know, before they came out, but they perceived that it was going to be negative. You know, in the case of the surfer, Nick, it was like the religion, you know, was constantly beat into him. You know, you're, you're evil. You're going to go to hell. You're going to, you know, that it just was relentless. And for other people, like, you know, the football player, uh, Kyle, it was like 
he didn't know any other football players who were gay until Michael Sam came out. So a lot of it is having to accept themselves first, and then when they do it, the, reap- the reaction is universally been positive. So it's getting past the internal hurdle that is the biggest battle. It's not like Nick the surfer swimmer was was being taunted or being you know bullied for being gay. It was simply he assumed that he would not be accepted. And it's not been the case. And, you know, then Kyle told us and, and, you know, Nick told me that the reaction, of course, to their stories is so overwhelmingly positive. They're blown away. Nick said he hadn't cried in, you know, in, in so long from just being emotional. And Kyle saying, you know, he hopes it makes a difference that breaking through their own inner struggles was, I said, 90 percent of the battle because in general, you are going to be accepted these days. And we're not, no, none of us is denying that there's homophobia still or that it's still not easy for people in many areas because we have nobody <laughs> other than, you know, in the four big pro sports, nobody's out. But that constantly these people do it and they're surprised that, oh, the world didn't end. What was I, you know, I was all hepped up to have this, all this thing and it was kind of like yeah. it was a non-story to people. And I think that's the issue. That's what we're trying to tell, tell people that, the the ground has shifted. Yeah, I that's I certainly that's been I think that's been both of our messages for the last couple of years that this 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 homophobia on the surface that you hear in the locker room or that you might hear from a fan in the stands or that you might see in a sign at a at a Patriot parade that does not reflect the heart of sports. It doesn't reflect the heart of athletes and the heart of fans. It's 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 just it's dumb. It's sophomoric and dumb and and stupid and you know I I, I certainly <laughs> every once in a while words come out of my mouth that I'm like wait I don't really, I don't that's not exactly what I think I I said that wrong I worded that wrong that was just a bizarre emotional reaction and I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not exactly screaming slurs about anybody or at anybody but. Sometimes we just do things and say things that just really don't reflect them. We, when, when we take a step back from the emotion of a moment and, and we think about what we just did or said, we realize, wait a second, that, that does not, that's not what I think or how I feel, and I need to really rethink how I react in that moment. So I, 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 I appreciate that, that, that that's, that's what some of these fans are going through. It's just you know the emotional reaction of a – of a team throwing an interception or a team winning a Super Bowl or some, it's just stupid things. And sometimes we react in really stupid ways. It just don't reflect how we really feel. Yeah. And again, it doesn't, you know, we always get criticized that we're trying to paint this Pollyannish view and we don't, we both are bummed out that there's nobody in the NBA, NHL, major league baseball, or whatever, NBA who's gay. So we're not denying that there's still clearly an issue, but the ground has shifted. Attitudes have changed. There are, yeah, maybe the homophobes are now silent and they're not voicing their opinions, but that in and of itself is a victory because it used to be accepted to be publicly, you know, there was a, literally a boys would be boys thing. Remember Michael Wilbon of ESPN, who's now, you know, very, you know, pro-gay years ago during a something back in the early 2000s, basically dismissed some comment Michael Jordan made like, oh, that's just... That's basically just locker room talk kind of stuff, and it was accepted. That's not accepted anymore. No one thinks that's okay or cool, which is why you don't see it nearly as much on social media because they know there will be a blowback. 
So, you you know, progress is not always one straight line up. It zigzags and it sometimes takes a step back and goes sideways for a while, but it is inevitably, at least in this issue, heading in the right direction. And I think that's that's the message I always want to convey to people. We're not yeah. minimizing problems, but things clearly are better than they were when we started this website, uh, you know, basically 17 years ago. Well, and uh, frankly, nobody sees all the stories that we see. I mean, you and I see every little nugget that comes out about LGBT yeah. athletes. And we write about the bad uh, and we write about the good. It just so happens that the good, as far as people coming out and being accepted by their teams, so overwhelmingly in the tsunami style outweighs the bad. And, and we talk about Tony Dungy and we talk about um, Kurt Schilling. We talk about the negative. You know, there was an athlete who I wrote his coming out story two years ago, and at the last second he said, I just can't, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my scholarship. And I blasted, I couldn't name the school without outing him, but I blasted the idea. And so you, we don't shy away from, from sharing the negative. It's just, there's not a lot of, there's just not a lot of negative. And, you know, people pull, oh, well, the, well, this sport's different and that sport's different. You know, I, I've been working with several NCAA college football players over the last uh, few months now, uh, and and one just popped up last night, and they're out to their team. Everyone they've told has been accepting, and you know, so you and I continue to wonder, like, okay, well, where's all this homophobia if every athlete and coach we we hear about is accepted? Yeah, and I think it's going to continue to get better. Well, it, it, it is getting better, and every single person who contributes their story makes it better for somebody else, gives somebody else the courage, the domino effect we talk about. Um, but that's all the time we have this week. Uh, we will keep reporting the positive and the negative that come across our desk. Obviously, if you have any uh, news tips, you can tweet us at Outsports or email us at outsports at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whatever your story is.